Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. Thank you for joining me again for our weekly Parsha Perspectives class, trying to extract lessons from the Parsha that are applicable to today, that inform our contemporary uh, living. I want to thank our generous sponsors for the Parsha class. Okay, good morning, First of all, our sponsors for the year, uh, Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of David Grossman, their beloved father and grandfather, Lilo Nishmas David Menachem Manish. We appreciate your generosity for the series for the entire year. Also, this morning's Parsha class is generously co-sponsored by Dr. David Rishal Flug in commemoration of the yurtzeit of his beloved sister, Dr. Francis Flug, Fega Bas Eliezer Verachos, Neshama Shadav and Aliyah, and by Ronnie and Jennifer Herman in honor of his father's yurtzeit today, Hechaver Arya Yaakov Eliezer Ben Hechaver Naftali's Neshama should also have an Aliyah through our Divrei Torah, and by Nadine Cutler Hordish and Raina Hordish in memory of the complete speedy recovery of our dear friend Eitan Moshe Ben Hila Hinda, and by Nadine Cutler Hordish and Jonah Rosenbach for a full of Shlomo Mordechai Ben Leia So thank you for all of our generous sponsors in this uh, time in which there's not a lot of uh, flow of finances. We deeply appreciate your support to the community. Also, just public service announcement before we dive into the Parsha. Tonight we have our annual Haggadah night. Educators, rabbis throughout the community this time, we're doing it on Zoom and Facebook Live. Instead of the famous five-minute countdown clock, Rabbi Moskowitz will simply mute those who violate their five-minute rule, but get insights through the width and breadth of the Haggadah tonight. That is available. And lastly, I want to invite everybody on Motzei Shabbos, 9 p.m. live on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, Zoom. We'll be having our Shabbos Haggadah Drasha, seeing the glasses half full lessons we can learn from the Kos of Elio, the Cup of Elio. So before we dive into the Parsha together this morning, I want to take a look first at the question of Shabbos HaGadol. This Shabbos is known as Shabbos HaGadol, and normally rabbis around the world are scrambling to put together a meaningful, moving, inspiring, relevant, contemporary drasha for this Shabbos. Of course, this year we have the unusual uh, reality that we are confined to our homes, socially distancing from one another, and therefore many, some will be broadcasting it live, um, I'm going to do it from the Bima to try to give as authentic a feel as we can. But the question is why? What makes it Shabbos HaGadol? Where did it get its name? The Gemara Shabbos Naf Pezayin and Tosfos there comments that the reason it's called Shabbos HaGadol is for the following. And this is the most famous explanation. We know that on the 10th of Nisan, Hashem already instructed the Jewish people that they needed to garner the courage and to go capture an animal, the deity of the Egyptians, tie it to their bedpost, leave it there until the 14th when they would slaughter it and eat it that night. For those days that the animal was tied to their bedpost, those days the courage it took to capture the deity of their oppressor, of persecutors, for more than two centuries, the courage it took to put faith in Hashem and to be a partner of His in redemption, to be willing to take that step and do what was necessary. This entire process of redemption really began on the 10th of Nisan. It didn't wait for Pesach, the 14th and the 15th. And since the 10th of Nisan, that year was a Shabbos. Says Tosos, that's why it's called Shabbos HaGadol, the great Shabbos of the great courage, of the great devotion, of the great initiative, of the great partnership with Hashem. That was the miracle that took place at that time, and that's why it's called Shabbos, and that's why it's called Shabbos HaGadol. The Beis Yosef, the tour, everybody gives reasons. The Prichadash gives another fascinating reason. He says, the Egyptians knew that the Jews in Egypt were Shomrei Shabbos, even in Egypt, ultimately that was taken away. But early on, we were given the right, the privilege, the opportunity to observe Shabbos, even within Egypt itself. 
So why don't we call whatever day the 10th is? Tuesday Haggadol, Wednesday Haggadol. Whenever the 10th falls out in that particular year, that should be the Haggadol. Why is it always Shabbos Haggadol? Says the Prichadosh, because the Egyptians knew that the Jews observed Shabbos. They knew that more than Jews have kept Shabbos, Shabbos has kept the Jews. The Medrash tells us, What evoked the sense of it being so great? What was so courageous? What was so brave and so miraculous? The fact that the Jews were already observing Shabbos in Egypt meant that they would not interact with animals. They were muktza. Yet, that year, that Shabbos, they were, which precipitated the Egyptians to ask, what are you doing? And when they explained, oh, you're God, we're tying it to a, dead po- a bedpost because the Kaddish Baruch of the Almighty is going to take us out. That was the miracle. So therefore, says the Prichadosh, what made it Shabbos ago, specifically connected to Shabbos, was that interacting with the animal to take it, to tie it, was in itself a violation of Shabbos. And that's what evoked the Egyptians to ask and enabled the Jews to say, it may be your God, but it's not the real God. The reason God did all these miracles was a curriculum to communicate and educate to you and to us that there is only one above, that he is in charge, that he runs the entire world, that he is the source of all that exists. The Bnei Yisachar, the Heliger Rebbe, explains a little bit differently, quotes the Old Ephraim. And we know the Gemara tells us, the Somebody who's commanded to do something receives even more reward and is in a greater position than somebody who's doing so voluntarily. It's counterintuitive. You'd say to yourself, person who's moved on their own, who volunteers to do it, they should surpass. That is even greater. They should receive a greater reward than the person who is obligated or commanded. And yet, the Gemara tells us in several places that greater is the person who is commanded. Why? I remember when I was young, one of my teachers gave the following metaphor. He said, you know, if your parents leave the house at night and they say, listen, by the time we're home, I want you to clean your room, clean the kitchen, clean the house. I can't believe I have to do that. Miserable, you don't want to, you hesitate. But what if you're not asked to by your teachers? What if you, you're by your teachers, by your parents? Your parents leave for the night, they don't ask you anything. And then all of a sudden, instinctively, internally, you are moved to want to clean the house. Surprise your parents, you're so excited. The reward when you do something voluntarily is the fact that you are internally motivated. You don't have to come, overcome any obstacle. You don't have to overcome any friction to be able to do it. You are motivated to do it naturally and internally. And therefore, God the one who's responding and reacting to being commanded, even when there's inertia against you, in fact, is doing something greater and gets a greater reward. So therefore, says the Bnei Yisachar, when Hashem said, take this animal tied to the doorpost, this is going to be your first act of devotion to me, this was the first time they were a mitzvah. It's the first time the Jewish people are commanded. They are responding to a command from God. Gadol mitzvah va'oseh. One is even greater when you're reacting to being commanded. You're meeting the need of another. We'll relate this momentarily to our parsha, parsha's tzav, Characterize the very name of the parsha is tzav, the idea of being commanded, the idea of being dictated to. So says the Bnei Yisachar, it's called Shabbos HaGadol. It's the great Shabbos because it was our first opportunity to reach that level of Gadol Metsuva. This was the first time that we were doing something not voluntarily on our own, but we were commanded, responding to a request by a mandate by the Almighty Himself. Of course, 
Another reason it's called Shabbos Agadol, the half Torah for this week. We are told that Eliyahu Navi is going to be the harbinger of redemption. He's going to be the one who comes to announce and proclaim the redemption. The day of redemption. And it feels like we're in messianic times. It feels in this unusual world in which we're living. There's something extraordinary happening around us. And that day is described as Yom Hagadol. So in anticipation and excitement with hope and optimism towards the, towards the day when Eliyahu will come and he'll announce you know, there are press conferences every day. The president has his, and the governor of New York has his, and the governor of Florida has his. Kodesh Baruch Hu, Elio, is going to hold a press conference, and he's going to announce, this is it. New executive order. Mashiach has arrived. Mashiach is coming. Yom Hashem HaGadol V'Hanorah. This is Shabbos HaGadol. Shabbos HaGadol is that anticipation, is that excitement. As I said, that is our topic for this Motzei Shabbos, for our Shabbos HaGadol, how we can always see the cup as half full, drawing lessons from the cup of Eliyahu. Eliyahu is, of course, the symbol of optimism and hope and a brighter future of seeing things in context of understanding the silver lining of choosing to see things with uh, the cup as being half full. So that's a little bit of a background, a little bit of an insight into why it's called Shabbos HaGadol. But that last insight of Tzav, the notion that when God commands us, we reach an even higher level, really is a perfect place to begin and take us over to our Parsha called Parsha's Tzav. The Parsha begins, if you're in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, page 568, Parsha's Tzav. Perek Vav Pasuk Aleph, Parshat Tzavai. Dabe Hashem Moshe Lemor, God spoke to Moshe, Lemor saying, from which the Gemara derives, we always have that Pasuk. God communicated, Lemor saying. And the Gemara concludes, why do you have to say Lemor, that God said so saying? Isn't it extraneous? God spoke to Moshe, and of course he told Moshe to teach. Says the Chasei Chazal, no, not of course. You see, there's a fascinating, very, very important insight, particularly in our digital era, in which we're able to share information so rapidly, so efficiently, so quickly. Lemur teaches us the following. If somebody tells you something, is the assumption that you're not allowed to repeat it unless they explicitly tell you you can, or is the assumption you're allowed to repeat it unless they explicitly tell you you can't? Which is the assumption? So the Chazal understand from the word lemor, the fact that God has to give permission to Moshe. He says, I'm telling you this, repeat it, share it, post it, make it go viral. That means he's entitled. But had God not said lemor, that I'm telling it to you in order to share, then the assumption, the default is, you're not allowed to share something unless, unless you have permission to be able to do so. So God speaks to Moshe, Tzav, and what did he tell him? Tzav es Aaron des of lemor. Command Aaron, and his sons, and tell them, Zos Torah We're going to examine this passage closely. But this is the law of the Korban Ola, of the elevation offering. It's an elevation offering. It stays in the flame on the altar all night, burns until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall remain aflame on it. That fire needs to continue to rage, to burn. It needs to continue to consume entirely that Korban Ola. This word Sav is unusual. We have many commandments, 613 of them, in fact, throughout the Torah. And not all of them are introduced with the word Sav. So why are we using the word Sav here? So we'll go back to our dear friend Zatzal, the great Chelban, the great milkman of Yerushalayim, the Kabbalist, the great Tamar Chacham. I mentioned we uh, studied a piece of his last week. And again, his essays are elaborate and long. And each time he communicates and develops an idea, he does so at length. They're all worth diving into. But it's hard to say over quickly in a, in a parashish year. But I'll just draw your attention to... to uh, one, one paragraph or one section, where he describes this notion that sav means a command. 
And what does it mean when something is communicated with the language of a command? It speaks to me a lot now because, you know, in Florida we have an executive order, stay home order, governors of different states, the president of the United States, everybody's closely following what are the laws that, um, the laws that tell us and that prohibit us, that restrict us, what we're allowed to do and not do. What is an executive order? An executive order tells you that the executive who's issuing that order, what matters to them, what, what they believe, what is their vision, what is their solution. When something is communicated through the means of an order, it tells you, the executive or the author of that order, what they really care about. So listen to the Chaban. This word Sav tells us how much Hashem values, He wants, He desires, He longs for when we offer those Karbanos. When a person asks you to do something, when they command you to do something, it means they really, really want it. So if you say to your child, if you have time, if you don't mind, if you can, if you want to, then do it. It means that you're not entirely invested. You're not entirely, uh, um, it doesn't mean that much to you. But if you say to your child, please do this, do this. I'm asking you to do this. I'm counting to three for you to do this. Then it reveals, it reflects how much you desire it, how much you want it, how much you value it. This is not just an amira. It's not just communicating verbally. It's tzav. Here's a command. This is my executive order. Says God, I as the executive, you can see what matters to me, what's important to me by the word, by the means, by the mechanism in which I choose to communicate it. But move on. These sacrifices, they're not archaic or arcane, they're not outdated or irrelevant. They're what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. We show our passion, our devotion to Him by our willingness to make sacrifices, to compromise, to do what's right. All of us are entering this period. We're now... Uh, almost uh, only a week away from Pesach, and the effort it takes to make Pesach, according to the effort, according to the investment, according to the work is the reward. And we know in all the relationships in our lives, when a person extends themselves, when they put themselves out for us, their willingness to sacrifice is proportional to their devotion, their love towards us. So these karbanos, what these sacrifices mean, both the mitzvah proper, but the symbolism and the metaphor in a greater sense, they are so beloved, they're precious to Hashem. They represent this bond between Kudshabrichu Knesset Yisrael. Me'elo meltata, gama duchra v'gama nukva. Haduchura v'gama nukva. Mishtoka kemal yichara gama hamer mitas notes ba'avodas hakarbonas. Mishum kach davka milat sav romezas at savsa v'chibur. The word sav, a command, means a connection. K'moshom reba chasidus. When the word Sav is used, it reveals, it reflects, it's a flag, it's indicating this is something that really matters to Hashem. This is something which is really critical. This is something which creates that sense of that bond. So the word Sav is not coincidental. We see it only in very few places, and when we see it, it's an executive order. God says, through the use of the word Sav, I want you to know this really matters to me. I really care about it. It is really the means in which the two of us connect and therefore take it seriously and pursue it. So again, back to this opening passage. Command Aaron and his children saying, this is the law of the Ola. It sits on the on Mizbeach and has to burn the whole night. That fire on the Mizbeach must rage. Must rage. Says Rashi. What does this mean? So says Rashi. From the Torah's corner, he's quoting from the Medrash. 
Whenever we see that word tzaz, the Chaban tells tzaz means executive order. It means it really matters to the Almighty. But says Rashi, Tzav means zeros, alacrity, speed, zeal. Go do it. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. I could have my child and I could say, listen, when you get a chance and if you don't mind, could you take care of X, Y, and Z? And the child will say, okay, I'll do it later. Later today, later this week, later this month, later this year, later this lifetime. But when you say tzav, it means, can you take care of this right now? Stop what you're doing and please take care of this right now. I'm trying to light the fire. That's the language that we use. Interestingly, it's the language of the Pasuk, that this carbon ola has to be on the fire and the fire can't diminish or extinguish. The fire has to rage the entire night. And we say to somebody, I'm lighting, I got to light a fire under you. Lashon zeros, alacrity, zeal, go do it. We talk about this Wednesday mornings. We'll talk about it tomorrow, our Mesilas Hasharim, the second of the character traits that leads to the most perfected life, the life that is the best version of ourselves, uh, the, the second character trait is, is Zrizus, alacrity, zeal, set a goal, pursue it, make it happen. So says Rashi, quoting from the Chazal, from the Medrash, Tzav is God's way of saying, don't do this later today, or later this week, or later this month, Tzav, Lashon Zeros, go do it, Miyad, right now, Uladoros. And this has ramifications, it has resonance for generations. And why does God have to say that? Why can't God just give the mitzvah like he always does? Do we not trust the Kohanim to react? Do we not trust the Jewish people to do the mitzvah? A, a nation who said, tell us and we will do, they're not going to run with it? Says Rashi, quoting Chazal, no, you know why? Because over here, there is a cost, there is an expense, there is a loss which is taking place. What is the loss which is taking place? So the Karbanola burns and is consumed on the altar the entire night. Normally the Kohen who brings the offer has the ability to benefit from it. The Kohen eats from the meat, the flesh, a delicious barbecue. But now the Kohen gets nothing. It consumed entirely on the altar. So maybe that's the Chesron kiss. But the Ramban is bothered by that. And says the Ramban the following. He quotes Rashi. He quotes this Chazal. Rashi is really quoting a Chazal. And then he says... What loss is there to the Kohanim? Who needs to light a fire under them? They're going to hesitate because they're experiencing a loss? What loss? Says the Ramban, they benefit from the Ola like they do from every other Korban. Namely, true the Korban is consumed on the fire the whole night, but they get the skin, they get the leather, the hide. So what's the loss that they're experiencing? And the cost of the, of the carbonola is not passed on to the Kohanim. It comes out from the communal budget. It comes out from the communal fund. So what loss are they sustaining? Says the Rabban, what does this mean? Trying to get them to do it quickly. Trying to get them to do it like they care. Trying to get them to do it that they move. What's the real loss? What's the chesron kiss the chazal we're talking about? Kigon, the chesron kiss that they were talking about is Hatzava Amura B'Shem and Hamaor. Tzav is B'nei Yisrael and Asun Leviim Aram the Shabbos. V'yitachin Shenomar Sheish B'Tzav Chesron Kiss Lakonim Ba'Or Zekarban Aram Nevanov. No, because the continuation, the notion of the oil for the candelabra, that came out of the coin budget. That they had to bring. So the reference to the chesron kiss, the reference to the sense of loss that the Kohanim experienced, is not talking about this carbon ola says the Ramban, disagreeing with Rashi, but rather is talking about the oil. The Kliyakar has a third interpretation. 
the Kliyakar Rashi, the Ramban, and the Kliyakar brings a third interpretation of why the Kohanim need a fire lit under them, why they need to move. But I want to draw your attention to a different shot. I saw this and I was blown away. Two insights, two interpretations, and we introduced him also last week, which is Rav Yisrael Meir Druk. Rav Yisrael Meir Druk is a uh, Rosh Hashiv in Eretz Yisrael, Yerushalayim, a great Talmud Chacham. He's very close with Rav Chaim Kanievsky. They learn together. Bechavrusa, Talmud Chavar of Rebchaim Kanievsky, and he has a set of svarim, interestingly called Eish Tamid, which means the uh, consistent, the endless fire, which is from our Pasha, the Eish Tamid, the Ner Tamid. So Rabbi Yisrael Meir Druk says the following, very interesting. He quotes Rashi and then he quotes the Ramban, but he's bothered, he's bothered, and he says the following. Shitas Rashi, Shaziru's Nemer La'aron Uvarav Al-Parsha Zakarmanot Tzricha Bir. He too asks on Rashi, what loss? It comes out of the communal budget. And the Kohanim still do benefit. They get from the skin, the hide. So listen to what he says. He says the following. The Gemara Menachos tells us, What is the Pasuk in our parasha? These are the laws. This is the Torah of these different sacrifices. It comes to teach us the following. It means whoever occupies themselves with Torah study, like you are with me this morning, on YouTube, on Zoom, on Facebook, on this recording, maybe you're listening to later. Whatever means, whatever gift and blessing of technology that we have, otherwise it's me, myself, and I here in this room, when you sit and you study Torah, and particularly when, when you're studying the Torah of the Karbanas, Kilu Hikriv, when we are delving and plumbing the depths, when we're understanding and dissecting the details, it's as if we brought the Karbanas themselves, we've tapped into their symbolism and their significance, and we're being elevated and enriched and transformed by their meaning. Vamarava. And Torah learning is so sacred, Torah learning is so high, is so great, that in fact, if you're occupied with the Torah learning, particularly Torah learning of these Karbanos, then you don't need them. So says Rav Yisrael Meir Druk. So we see that somebody who is studying the laws, the details of the Karbanos, someone who's understanding their significance and their meaning, is enriched by them as if they brought them. You don't think the Kohanim knew that? The Kohanim knew! So the Kohanim might have said to themselves, listen, you know what it takes to wake up, wash, immerse, get dressed in the big day kahuna, schlep the animal, lean on the animal, shech the animal, collect the blood, sprinkle the blood, flay the animal, burn the parts. It's an enormous avoda. It's called an avoda for a reason. It's a huge effort. It's a huge work. So maybe the Kohanim are going to say to themselves, you know, we also know this little secret that when you learn Torah and you learn about the Karbanas, it's ke'ilu as if you brought them. So you know what? Why do we have to bring them? Why do we have to get out of bed? Why do we have to get dressed? Why do we have to go there? Why do we have to engage a whole avoda? We'll just learn their laws and ke'ilu. It's as if we fulfilled them. And that's what Moshe needed to give them this extra little nudge. He had to light a fire into them. He had to say to them, no, it's ki'ilu. It's as if, but it's not the same. Go do it. Why does this speak to me so much? Why does it resonate for me? Because, you know, one of my big concerns, obviously for everybody's health and safety and security, first and foremost, primary, but a concern I have is when this is all over and when we are able to integrate and gather and come together. Is anyone going to come to the shir? Or is everyone going to say, you know, Rabbi, I liked Ki'ilu being at the shir when I was watching on Zoom. 
It was Ke'ilu I was at the Shear when I was on Facebook Live. It was Ke'ilu at the Shear when I watched it on YouTube. So I can lie in bed in my gut because I can sit on my couch sipping my coffee. I don't have to fight for parking. I don't have to fight for a seat. And uh, it's Ke'ilu, I'm in the Shear. I'm watching from here. Do I really have to go to Minyan? You know, I found there were communities that were hosting Zoom gatherings for davening. So nine friends and I will Zoom together, daven at the same time, and Ke'ilu, we had a minion. Ke'ilu, Kabbalah Shabbos. Ke'ilu, I sold my chametz. Ke'ilu, I attended a siyam of a bachor. Ke'ilu, Ke'ilu, Ke'ilu. I've learned over technology that I can experience everything in a Ke'ilu, as if. And I'm concerned. In fact, tomorrow night on our coffee talk, which is 9 o'clock Eastern Standing Time, which is uh, unlike a formal shear, it's just a smooth session about what's going on how we arrive at our decisions, what's really happening, what's going on. So that's the first question I want to open with, with our panel of guests. What that's happening now do we hope continues? What that's happening now do we hope we drop? And what do we hope that wish continues, but we're fearful it won't? So this inside of Yisrael Meir Druk, you know why Hashem, you know why Moshe needed to light a fire under the Kohanim? L'zarzam, the chesram kisses, because once you experience something and you say, you know, that was good enough, it was kilu. It was as if I made it to the wedding. So instead of having to get dressed up and write a check and pay the valet and pay the tolls and come to the wedding, zoom me into the wedding. That's what we did during the coronavirus. So the chas and the kali, you stand under the chuppah. Their parents might appreciate the cost savings, but they won't. And everyone, the guests will say, why get dressed up? And why drove and pay the, drive and pay the tolls? And why come home late another night? Kilu, we'll watch it over Zoom. And Kilu, we were at the wedding. So no, there are no ki'ilu, even when it's true that when you have no choice, we don't have karbanos, we have no choice. So we learn about them, we study about them, we tap into them, we're enriched by them because we have no choice. But we would never change that in at all for the opportunity to have a base amikdash, to be in Yushalayim, to bring these karbanos and become karov, become close to Hashem, and similarly with all these other things. So therefore, this insight really resonates deeply for me. Rav Juk has a second explanation, another answer that he gives. And again, he says, what does it mean, Tamua Ma'od? We're talking about Aaron HaKohen. Aaron and his sons needed a fire lit under them? We're talking about Aaron HaKohen. He loved HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and he was driven, and he acted with enthusiasm. And what loss is there? All of a sudden, Aaron, he's penny-pinching. He cares about his money so much. He's so stingy. Aaron is so materialistic. Aaron all of a sudden cares so much about money that because there's a loss by bringing the Ola, we have to light the fire and we need to be told Sav. It's what bothered the Ramban, as we spoke about. Says Rav Druk, quoting his father, the great Drash Mordechai, This instruction wasn't for Aaron. Of course he was ready to fulfill it with joy, with happiness. They never would have hesitated or demurred because there was any loss they would sustain. They were ready to pay a great cost in order to fulfill the will of Hashem. So what is this talking about? It's not about their own money. See, if the Kohen encountered, if the Kohen encountered a poor person who needs to bring a Korban Ola, but he couldn't afford it, and the Kohen had pity, so he said, you know what, you bring a Shlomim, better for you, cost less, better for me, I get part of the meat, but he wouldn't fulfill, that's why it's Sav. Not because there was a fear that Aaron and his sons would hesitate, 
but there was a concern that Aaron and his sons would hesitate on behalf of the Jewish people. This is leadership. Jewish leadership is counting the pennies, not of ourselves, but of the people for whom we are responsible, to care about, to hesitate when it comes to our communal budget, our communal spending, to care about the people who are hurting during this time, and to be able to make sure that everyone has food for Pesach, that everyone has a roof over their head, that everyone has what they need. Hashem had to issue this special command, Sav, not because he was worried about Aaron. He was worried that Aaron would worry about the Jewish people, because that is who we're supposed to be, a people that pause, that wait, and that hesitate about the Jewish people. And thirdly, says Rav Yisro a third pshat in Tzav, we're going to try to get past the first word of the parashat Tzav. We're going to try. So this is the third pshat. We saw the Tzav, the Rashi, the Ramban, the Kliyakar, the first two insights of Rav Druk, and this is his third. Each of these is so powerful and so time, timely that I couldn't help but share them with you. He says the following. Really quoting from the Kliyakar here. He says, The Yerushalmi tells us, So he said, You lost your wallet and you didn't know the halacha because you lost your wallet? He said, he says, because I can't answer because I can't think clearly. And why can't I think clearly? Because my thoughts are on my wallet. I lost my wallet. I'm watching the stock market plummet. I'm watching my real estate values go down. It's hard to concentrate on anything. It's hard to concentrate on anything. How can I make sound decisions? How can I have a presence of mind when I'm watching my portfolio disappear? Please God, it's going to bounce back. This foundation of the economy strong. When this passes, we're all going to be okay. Who is the source of our parnas and all. I don't want to scare anybody. But what Rabbi Yochanan answered is, he said, you know, when a person is worried, where our mind is, is, um, is on our finances, our ability to provide for ourselves. How can I answer your question? How can I concentrate? So what does it mean the Chesron Kiss is? The Kohen's worried they're going to get it wrong. And if you get it wrong, if you mess up the Shechita, if you mess up the Avoda, then you cost a very expensive animal. So when you're worried about Chesron Kiss, when you're worried about um, wasting money, when you're worried about messing something up in a way that will cost you or cost others a lot, that's a distraction. And that gives you pause and reason to hesitate. And that's why he needed a little extra fire lit under him to go and to do it, to go and to make it happen. Okay, back to this first Pasuk. So we talked about the word Tzav. Why the Lashon Tzav? Chalban, Rashi, Ramban, Kliyakar, three insights of the, of Rav Yisrael, Meir Druk, of the Eish Tamid. But let's continue in this very Pasuk. Zos Torah Saola. This is the law of the Ola. And we already referenced that our Pasha is going to say the same thing about each of the Karbanos. Zos Torah Sachata. Zos Torah Saashem. Zos Torah Sashlamim. This is the Torah of. Do we have so many Torahs? We have one Torah. It's got five parts, five books, the Chumash, but it's one Torah. So why are we referring to each and every one of these as its own sense of a Torah? So here Ravoba has a great insight. The great Mashkiach Ravoba. He says the following. He says the following, Zos Torah, so this is the law of, this is the Torah of, the Torah of the Ola, the Torah of the Shlom, the Torah of the Mincha. Why? He says the wisdom of the Torah is unique in that it focuses more on the details than the general rules. Of course we care about Big Adol, the big picture. Of course that's what matters. But the big picture is fulfilled, the big picture is, is arrived at, it's executed through the details. We are part of a religion that the details matter. I can't tell you how often I've had the conversation with someone 
who's not yet observant, or who's in the wrong direction of growth and observance, and they'll say, what does God care so much about the minutiae and the details? I'm a good person. Isn't that what Torah is really all about? Being a good person. I'm a kind person, a caring person, a sympathetic person, an honest person. What are the minutiae, the details? What order I tie my shoe? 39 malachas on Shabbos, how I separate the jelly beans, whether I destroy the chametz. What's with the minutiae and what's with the details? Says Revol, but that's what the Torah here is telling us. Zos Torahs. Ha? This is the Torah of that particular area. Because the details matter. The primary goal of Torah study is to break down each mitzvah into the practical halachas, to find the details. Because the midah, the deeper meaning, the resonance, the why is fulfilled through the what. If you are so uh, occupied by the why, what's the tamah mitzvah? What's the deeper reason for the mitzvah? But you neglect and you fail to fulfill the details. If you miss the formula, then you're not going to get it right. You know, in medicine, the cocktail, the prescription, the medicine you're given, what's not is not big adult. So a person, God forbid, was suffering an illness, and they went to the doctor, and the doctor prescribed a certain medicine, or the doctor prescribed a certain therapeutic treatment, which was a cocktail, a series of medicines, a combination. And you said, I got the big picture. What is the minutia? What do the details count? Who cares about the details? You told me basically, sleep, eat chicken soup, rest, hydrate, and take a little of this, that, and the other, the exact amounts and the exact uh, ingredients. What does it matter? I'm looking at the big picture. Who cares about the minutia? The details matter. The details are how we can arrive at and fulfill the big picture. The importance of Torah lens to detail is Allah and Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch and Simon Reish Yud Aleph, Siv Zayin. That if a person sits down to a meal and you're given two kinds of food, what do you make the bracha on first? So one of the brachas, let's say, is a shahakal, and the other bracha is a bora priha eitz. So you have a cup of coffee and an apple. Oh, I have props. I didn't do this on purpose even, but I happen to have props. I have an apple, and I have a now cold cup of coffee. So if I were to make a bracha, which one do you make the bracha on first? The apple, after you take the sticker off and wash it carefully, ha'etz, or the cup of coffee? Shahakal. What morning can begin without a shahakal? A nice, good, delicious, steaming, hot cup of coffee. So the halacha is a bari pre'etz takes precedence. Why is the bari pre'etz take precedence? Why do you make the bari pre'etz in the apple before you do on the cup of coffee? So Shulchan Aruch tells us, because the more specific, the more detailed, the more narrow the bracha, the more significant, the more elevated it is. Shahakal is a generic bracha. Shahakal you make on just the large category, meat, fish, beverages. Eitz is specific. It's fruit, fruit of the tree. The more specific, the more detailed, the more narrowed in, the more elevated, the more significant it is. It is specifically detailed-oriented Torah study that is what helps us overcome the Yetzirah. When we care about the minutiae, and we care about the details, when we're getting it right, be it in the exercise room, be it when you're coming out of the doctor's office, when the prescription of the medicine that you're taking, be it with how to properly take these precautions. You can't say, you know, big adult, I care about not spreading this virus. But the minutiae, the details they keep telling me about washing my hands, the minutiae about social distancing, what if I do four feet instead of six? What if I sing half a stanza of happy birthday and wash for 10 seconds instead of 20? What if I, what if I, what if I? The minutiae, the details, that's what matters. The Gemara in Kedushan Laman tells us that if a person um, is confronting the Yetzirah, the Yitzhahara is trying to drive us to look at something, say something, go something, think something. How do we overcome it? And the Gemara there has a formula, not for now, but concludes by saying, Mashcheil the base Medrash, drag the Yitzhahara to the base Medrash. Today you could do so easily in your God, because from your couch, you drag to the base Medrash called Zoom, YouTube, Facebook, YU Torah, RabbiFMGoldberg.org, Torah anytime. You could go on any of these platforms. Today you can drag the Yitzhahara to the base Medrash instantly, in real time, by pressing a button without even having to go anywhere. 
How and why does that work, says Ravol, but you know what, why it works? Because when we delve into the details, that's what combats the Yitzhahara. The Yitzhahara is trying to tell us, avoid the minutia, avoid the details. You're a good person, big picture, who cares? That's what the Torah is telling us. Zos Torah Sa'ola, Zos Torah Sa'asham, Zos Torah Sa'chatas. This is the Torah. These are the details of this given area because the details matter. This opening passage says, Zos Torah Sa'ola. We began with the laws of the Ola. He Olala Mogdad sits on the Mizbech Kolalayla the whole night. The Eisham Mizbech Tukad bow, and the fire of the Mizbech must burn bow on it. The simple understanding of the word bow that the the fire of the Mizbech has to burn on it. The bow. What's the bow? The it. The simple understanding of the it is referring to the Mizbech itself. The fire can't be extinguished. We have this idea of the near Tumet. I spoke about it last Friday going into Shabbos, that Hashem is always with us. We are never alone, even when we feel like it. That that fire that represents the presence of the Shekhinah, He's always with us. This is an excruciatingly hard time for people who live alone. During the week, at least, there's social contact through technology. But Shabbos and the prospect of a three-day Yontif, it's so hard, the idea of being alone. It's so difficult. And so, the fire of Hashem, our near tamid in shul burns, the shul may be empty, but the fire is still lit, because Hashem's presence is still felt among us all the time. So the simple understanding of the word bow is, where is this fire, does it need to continue to burn? On the mizbech. But listen to this fasemah, the light of the mizbech has to burn, bow doesn't mean the mizbech. It means in him! In you, the Kohen. It's not just about the fire on the Mizbech. That's the external. That's the superficial. That's the material fulfillment of the mitzvah. It has to burn in you, in every one of us. We have to not just fulfill a mitzvah externally. We have to do the mitzvah with all of our being, with a sense of passion. The Tukad Bo is it has to burn in us. In us, that has to burn. We have to be on fire. We have to be excited. It has to be something which is burning in us. Back to Rav Druk, Eish Tamid. Of course, he's got to have a word on this Pasuk. It's the name of his whole set of Sfarim. Eish Tamid. Says Rav Druk. Why do we have this obligation to burn these parts of the animal on the Mizbeach, and specifically fire? What are we, a bunch of a nation of pyromaniacs, a religion of pyros? Why are we so consumed? Fire, 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 and it's got to burn in the fire and leave the fire. Moreover, asks of Druk, what's going on here in the Pasuk? This is the law of the Ola. Oh, and in case you forgot, since I just said the word Ola, this is the law of the Ola. Which Ola? The Ola that's on the fire, on the Mizbeach, all night. You know, the fire that has to burn all night. What's with the redundancies? We know that the limbs have to be on the Mizbech all night. Why do we have to repeat it? So listen to what he says. It appears in the Halakha Svarim HaKadoshim. That whenever we make a mistake, when we do something wrong, the way we repair for the mistake that we've made is in the same manner in which we made the mistake. And where do we learn this from? So in other words, the same intensity, the same passion that brought us to violate that law, to make that mistake, is the same level of passion and intensity we need to repair and undo the mistake. It's direct proportional, it's a direct ratio. We have to correct and repair with the same level of intensity, passion, enthusiasm, with the same means and mechanism through which we violated. Where do we learn this idea from? Says Rav Druk, we learn it from the concept of the Pasuk says 
in Parshas Matas, that when we go to war with the Midian and we take their spoils and the loot, when we take their kitchen utensils and appliances, we got to kasher them. How do you kasher? It's on all of our minds. Pesach is a few days away. How do you kasher? And Rashi there says, Kederach tashmisha hagalaso, masha tashmisha ha'yidei chim ha'chamen yagilu b'chamen, u'masha tashmisha ha'yidei tzliki gon ha'shput va'askala yiladenu ba'or. We know, kibolo kachpolto. Chazal use a language, they say, the way that the utensil absorbed the taste is the same way that the utensil is used to purge it of the taste. So if the taste was absorbed through a liquid medium, we purge it through liquid. What's that called? Hagala. You could watch our Pesach Made Easy in a Difficult Year uh, video or audio for how to make Pesach easily this year and every year, how to make Pesach not do spring cleaning. So Hagala, there we explain a little bit more the mechanics of this, but Hagala, Hagala means I have silverware. How did silverware absorb taste? through a liquid medium. How did my pot absorb the taste? Through a liquid medium. How do I get it out? Immersing it in boiling liquid, or my silverware had contact superficially, so I pour liquid, uh, uh, not silverware, but my sink, my counter, pouring the liquid on top of it. If it was through heat, on a barbecue in an oven, then it's through heat. Kebolo kachpolto. In the microwave, it absorbed taste through what? Steam. How do I get out the taste? Through steam. So however it absorbed the taste is how I purge it of the taste. And the same is true when it comes to our own blemishes on our character, through the mistakes that we've made, the indiscretions that we violated. The deeper that the chait is absorbed, the deeper the mistake is absorbed into us, the more it takes in order to get it out, to purge it from us. The more superficial it was, this blemish, we can just wipe it off. We can get rid of it. Kibolo kachpolto. The way it is absorbed is the way it is purged. That's a law in how we kasher utensils, and it's a law in how we kasher and improve and repair ourselves. Similarly, we have when it comes to burning chametz, where we say, We know that when it comes to chametz, the leaven of chametz, what's the difference between matzah and chametz? Time. Lethargy. Laziness, procrastination, ego, arrogance. Really, the Gemara says, we tell Hashem, I want to fulfill your will. I want to do everything the way you wrote it up. So what stops me? What blocks me? What holds me back? Soor Shabi'isa, the leaven in the bread. That sense of ego, that arrogance that I struggle with, that I fight with. My sense of taiva, desire, my anger. All of this is... Um, Symbolized through fire. Says Rav Druk the following. Unfortunately and sadly for most of us, we can't do it this year. Normally we do Sreifas Chametz. Normally we burn the Chametz. Normally at Bokraton Synagogue, we have two large metal drums that are incredible custodial crew led by Junior, supervised from early in the morning. And people come in droves and we throw our Chametz in and we watch it go up in flames. Literally, we burn it. This year, unfortunately, because we can't gather, and it would be dangerous for everyone to make a fire at home. So Poskim have instructed us that the way to fulfill beer chametz this year is to take crumbs of chametz, enough to add up to a kezayis, an olive worth, and flush it down the toilet. Through flushing it down the toilet, that will be the means through which we fulfill beer chametz this year. But in an ordinary year, and we long to return to those ordinary times, we would burn the chametz. What's the image or symbolism of burning, says Rav Druk? He says the idea is of a fire. The same way that the fire within me I watched that thing with fire. I said that thing with fire. I pursued that with fire. I got angry with a sense of rage and fire. My arrogance and ego was on fire, was a flame. So the fire in me was the source of my problems. I need to 
get rid of, I need to purge, I need to destroy, I need to burn my mistakes, my shortcomings, my character faults through fire. We see that the Yetzirah burns within a person and sin is like fire that just consumes everything in its path. So therefore the sacrifices that we offer, they have to be offered on the fire of the Mizbeach. When we use the fire of the Mizbeach to burn and consume the Korban, we're using the same thing that drove us, the same means through which we made the mistake, is the means through which we are purging that mistake from us through the notion of the Korban. So says Rav Druk, the repetition in the Pasuk and the emphasis on this notion of the fire and the fire burning and the fire and the fire and the fire is because kibolo kachpolto, the way that we absorb is the way it's purged. It's true in how we kasher utensils and it's true in how we kasher and repair and transform ourselves. The intensity, the passion, the enthusiasm through which we absorbed the Avera is the same level through which we need to purge it from us. Since the fire that raged in us is what drove us to make those mistakes, it's the fire outside of us that will consume and help us eliminate that sense of those of those mistakes. Okay, let's skip now to Perak Vav Pasuk Dalad. Skip ahead a few Pesukim. Perak Vav Pasuk Dalad. So, in the Yorat Scroll Stone Chumash, still on the same page, 568, says the Pasuk, Ufashad Now, the Kohanim take off their clothes. Let's first we have the Korban Ola, and then we got to the Trumas Hadeshin. I love this word about Trumas Hadeshin. I say it often, I'll tell it to you one last time this year. Trumas Hadeshin, taking out the garbage, and there was a special service to take out the garbage. You remove the ash from the previous day's sacrifice that burned on the altar the entire night, as we just described through the means and mechanism of fire. The fire that drove us is the fire we need to use, that level of intensity to repair us. What's this idea? The coin to get dressed up and wash and prepare. Taking out the garbage is an avoda. Kind of avoda is taking out the garbage. The answer is it's a huge avoda. It's an avoda, say some of the commentaries, in humility. See, these Kohanim might think I'm all that. I've been chosen. I'm serving in the highest position in the land. I am in the holiest place on the earth. So therefore, the day begins with a sense of humility. Don't forget, take out the garbage. And I've told the story before. Maybe it's a flex. Maybe it's a name drop. But it's a good story nonetheless. I was invited, not because of me, but my position in our community, to the uh, White House. And uh, after a meeting there, um, on the way out, I called my wife, so excited to tell her. The Roosevelt Room in the West Wing and the excitement and the Marines and the president came in. It was unbelievable, the conversation. And she says, yeah, that's really nice, that's lovely, but it's Wednesday night and tomorrow's garbage day. When you get home, when you land late tonight, don't forget to take out the garbage before you go to bed. Because no matter how great you think you are, no matter how high you are, don't forget to take out the garbage. The Kohanim have to take out the garbage. But there's a much deeper lesson, says Rav Hirsch. I want to tell this to you quickly and then we'll move on. Rav Hirsch says, you know what that ash represents? You know what that ash means? He says, you know, there's two types of identities. Rav Hirsch doesn't use this, but modern sociologists, psychologists use the term. We can see ourselves and we can identify. We can, we can actually describe ourselves in two different contexts. There's what's called a vertical identity and there's horizontal identity. Vertical identity is when I see who comes before me. My parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. When I have a consciousness and a mindfulness for who will come after me, please God. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. That's my vertical identity. It's my awareness of my role in the context of that identity, and it's my responsibility to the 
chain from which I've come and to which I will give. And it's also part of what shaped and molded who I am is that vertical identity. There's also the horizontal identity. I have friends, I have influences, I have culture, I have community, I have teachers. There's a horizontal identity that surrounds me. It's a nurture that molds me and that shapes me. It's a group of people to whom I also bear responsibility. There's vertical identity, there's horizontal identity. It's fun doing this with video. Vertical identity and there's horizontal identity. Cesar, first, don't make the mistake of only seeing yourself within the context of a timeline of a horizontal identity. You know what the avoda of Truma Sadeshan of taking out the ash is? That ash represents the sacrifice of yesterday. Don't think when you're going to bring sacrifices today, you're the first to sacrifice. You're not the first to have to make sacrifices. So therefore, we begin our day with an avoda, with an awareness. I'm not the first to sacrifice. I take out the ash of yesterday's sacrifice. I remember where I came from and the people who sacrificed for me. And that influences it, informs, it inspires the sacrifices I'll be asked to make today. We'll talk about this more Motzei Shabbos in our Shabbos Hagadol Drusha when we talk about optimism and hope and the glass being half full and the lessons of the coast of Eliyahu is seeing this pandemic in a sense of context and seeing if we're not challenged in our health and if we're not challenged about how we'll put food on our table, if your greatest challenge is how to make Pesach, that's a first world problem. And therefore, we have to see ourselves in context and understand vertically and in the context of the history what these challenges are for us. And therefore, we can draw the strength in order to be overcome. The sacrifices we're being asked to make today, which are not easy, and I'm not minimizing. And in many cases, they're very, very difficult, as I said, particularly for those who are alone. The sacrifices of today are excruciating. But what strengthens us and gives us courage is when we begin our day by paying tribute and honor to the sacrifices of yesterday, says Rav Hirsch. That's why it was part of the avoda, Trumas Hadeshan, to take out the ash. Now, the next Pasuk. Once the Kohen, who was designated to take out the garbage, completed that task, he took off those garments and he put on other clothing. Got to change. And he takes it outside out of the camp. What is this image of ufashat begadim to take off clothing? So it says the great tzaddik, Rav Meir of Primishlam, he told his chassidim the following. You can learn incredible musr from this pasuk. You know what insight, what idea you get from this pasuk? In awareness. You know what one of the biggest inspirations to live is? When we think about death. That's pretty morbid. It's pretty sad, pretty somber. But our rabbis understood that sometimes when we think we're going to live forever, when we feel as if we are immune to the trials and tribulations of the world, when we think that we have eternity and that we don't have any sense of mortality, when we think we'll live forever, when we are invincible and above the rules, is when we are at risk and when we are in danger. You know what helps us temper and regulate our behavior, our thoughts, our actions? You know what helps us live every moment to its fullest? You know what helps us identify goals and pursue them when we realize our mortality, when we understand how fleeting life is, we are being confronted with this right now. I just saw an article, I think it was 44 rabbis who've already died from the coronavirus. Rabbis are not any category. Their death is not more tragic than any other human being. But for me, falling in that category, it's so sad. And among them, young people, when we learn about it and when we confront mortality and death, it should motivate and inspire us to live life. Said of Meir Premishlan, that's exactly what's going on in this Pasuk, homiletically. Upashat is big adav. Remember, remember that there's going to come a day that we're going to take off our clothing. What does it mean the day that we take off our clothing? It means that the day that the Hevra Kadisha is taking care of you for your Tahara, we are undressed. The day that we are returned to the Almighty, our body is first undressed. 
and we're going to be dressed in other clothing, the tachrichim. So if you're a member of a Chavar Kaddish, if you've done a tahara, and Hashem should save you, should safeguard you and bless you, the people selflessly do this beautiful work all throughout the year, and particularly during this time, they know that the first thing we do with the mace, with the nifter, is we undress them. We keep their private parts covered to preserve their dignity and modesty, but we undress them. And by the time they're done, we've redressed them, not in a bloody or dirty hospital gown, but rather they're dressed now like the Kohen. They're dressed in the Tachrichim, which emulate and imitate the Kohenim's clothing. So Pashat is big adav. A person should always be mindful. Think about our mortality and remember that our clothing will be removed and we're going to be dressed in Tachrichim and other clothing. And our, our disintegrated body, our guf, will be brought outside the camp. It'll be put in the ground. It'll rise above. El Makom Tahor. And please God, our soul will return to a holy place, to a pure place, namely to the Almighty Himself. Said Rameir from Ishlan, this Pasuk is an illusion. It's a reminder to be mindful and conscious all the time of our own mortality, that we are inspired to live life when we confront death, when we think about it. The next Pasuk, go to Perek Vav, Pasuk Ches. We have finally turned the page. Those Torah Samincha, we've now moved on to the Mincha. Veherim Mimenu Bekumtso. You lift of the flower, bikum tso, with your three, three fingerfuls. You lift it, misolas amincha, from the fine flower, umishamna, and from the oil, uh, and all of the frankincense that's on top of it. And then you you throw it on the mizbeach, it goes up in smoke, it produces a reach nichoach. Says the Imre Chaim, you didn't think that we were going to leave out the Vishnitzer Rebbe this week. Says the Heilige Imre Chaim, the Vishnitzer, on Veheira Mimenu Bukumso. He says, Mimenu Asvin Mamon. The word Mimenu, Veheirim Mimenu, are the same letters of the word Mamon. Mamon means money. Veheirim Mimenu, Imtoru Mimenu Baharchavalot Staka Bikumso, Ula Atzmahu Mikameitz. As avodaso nechshavas solas hamincha. If a person is heirim mimenu, we all have limited resources. Everybody, it's limited by definition. It might be much greater, but it's limited. Veheirim mimenu. Mimenu means mimamono. When you lift from your money, when you take your resources, your money, your bank account, and you elevate it, you lift it. And how do you do it? Mikumtso. You have less for yourself. Akamtsen. You have less for yourself. So you know what you say? Instead of a $100 bottle of wine, I'm going to buy the $20 bottle of wine and give $80 to Tom Shabbos. $80 to Moz Chitin. $80 to people who aren't even sure how they're going to put food on their table. When a person is bikum tso, with our own willingness to be stingy for ourselves, we're heirim mimenu, we lift our money, we elevate our money, then solas hamincha. This is the finest flower of a mincha, the finest gift that we can give. Again, homiletically, chasid ha-shatayra, b'dem rechaim division tzarebbe, v'heirim mimenu, v'heirim mamono. We lift and we elevate our money, bikum tso, when we're willing to be stingy with ourselves, and we produce solas ha-mincha, we produce a fine gift to Hashem, the greatest gift that we can give Him. Continuing, perek vav pasik tes, staying with the division tzarebbe. He says the following, pasik tes, nevhanosaros mene yoklar nevhanov, and what's left of Aaron and Banav eat matzos te'acha b'makom kadosh. Matzos, part of the korban mincha, one of the loaves of bread, were matzos. They ate b'makom kadosh b'chatzor o'moed yochlu. They had to eat it in the courtyard of the o'moed. Listen how the vision reads it. Hamakom shemachnisim b'hamatzah b'shas achila dahinu apeh tzarech lios kadosh. Hamatzah tzricha leheachel metaheleg moil. Metaheleg moil, he writes. For those who don't know Yiddish, 
I hope you don't know Yiddish because then you'll believe that I pronounced that correctly. But let me translate it. Says the Vishnu Rebbe the following, homiletically. The Pasuk says, Matzos kadosh. Aaron and his sons are instructed to eat the matzah of the Korban Mincha in a holy place. They had to consume it within the Oal Moed. But says the Vishnu Rebbe, the Imre Chaim, don't read it that way. How should you read it? Matzos kadosh. Eat the matzah in a holy place means turn your mouth into a holy place and only consume and eat the matzah in that holy place by your mouth being holy. With a holy mouth. Put the matzah in a holy mouth. Some people, they spend buckets of money to get the most expensive and the most mohudr matzah. And you sit at the seder and you cram a huge kezayis, three three sheets of matzah, one cheekful while leaning in your mouth. But is your mouth a holy mouth? Right before you ate the matzah. <coughs> and right after you ate the matzah. That was not a corona cough. That was a dry mouth speaking 55 minutes really quickly cough. If you stuff the matzah into a mouth that was speaking Lashon Hara, that was gossiping, if you put it in a mouth that it violates Nivel Peh, that speaks profanity or is lewd, it's not a makam kadosh. Fulfill mitzvos like the mitzvah of matzah that's coming up. We're kashering our kalim when this time that we're counting down to eating the matzah, we have to kasher our mouths. Not just kasher the utensils that our Pesach food will go in, we have to kasher the great utensil called our mouth that the matzah will go in. Matzos Eat the matzah in a holy vessel. Kasher that vessel too. Make it a holy place. With a holy, with a holy mouth. Okay, moving right along. We only have a few minutes left. Perak vav pasuk yidalaf is the korban toda, which is very relevant. Perak vav pasuk yidalaf is the korban, the korban toda of gratitude. We know the Gemara tells us, based on the Chazal, that the categories of people that had to bring the Korban told them. Okay, we'll try to do this with Rav Druk. Maybe this will be our last, our last uh, thing. Because, you know, of course, as always, we had so much more. So Rav Druk shows the following. How does Psukim work? The flow of them seem inconsistent. On the one hand, we started Zos Torah Zavach HaShlomim. These are the laws of the Shlomim. And then we end Imal Toda Yakrivenu. If you're bringing a Toda, so which is it? A Shlomim or a Toda? Now we know a Toda is a type of Shlomim, but he says, First we say Zos Torah Zavach HaShlomim. Miyad Imal Toda Yakrivenu. Shar Dine Korban Toda. Vomar Rabbeinu Bachayah Shekorban Zayishnei Minim. Gam Shlomim vegam Toda. This Korban fulfills both categories. A Toda is a type of Shlomim. But if you're just trying to understand the text, it's very peculiar. Why would you introduce a section calling it the Shlomim and then continue by giving details of the of the Toda? You start with the peace offering and you continue by giving the details of the offering for gratitude. The Gemara Baruch Zafnandal tells us, There are four categories of people who have to bring this Korban Toda. Four categories of people who today, rather than bring the Korban Toda, do what we do today, which is recite or bench Gomel. Who are the four categories? Your Dehayam, those who cross the sea. Holchem and Baraz, those who cross the desert. Mishayacholim and Isrape, anyone who was sick who recovered. And Mishayachavish, Beisasur and Vyatsa, anyone who was a prisoner and was released. And this is the Mizmor Kuf Zayin of Tehillim. David HaMelech captured all of this in the lengthy Mizmor of Tehillim 108. And the David HaMelech captures these four categories, and tells us the story of for whom we have to give Hoda'ah. So he says, you see, you have to express gratitude when you've been in a 
tsara, when you've been in a makam tsar, when you go through a crisis, when you go through a difficult time, and you come out on the other side, if you're going through the difficult time and you are even not struck intensely by the difficulty, you have to be incredibly grateful. The The truth is everybody has to be grateful. Even if you didn't go through a tsara. Why? Because every moment that you're alive is a potential tsara. Every time your lungs produce oxygen, your heart beats in your chest, every moment you have a roof over your head and food to put in your mouth, every moment that you're alive is a miracle. And that's what we say in our davening. On the miracles every day that are with us, for that we thank you for the miracles of every morning, evening, and afternoon. Because for everything we have to be grateful. For every moment that we are alive, we have to be incredibly grateful. The tour of Yaakov ben Asher hints to these four categories of people that bring this carbon toda in the bracha that we say of Hoda in our Amida. So here's a mini sitter snippet for Bechol Chaim and Shmona Esrei. And says the tour the following, Or Chaim Semen Reishud Tes. Four have to give gratitude. We said, those across the sea, those across the desert, someone who was sick and healed, and those who are released from prison. And what's the illusion? We say, V'chol ha'chayim yodu chasela. V'chol ha'chayim. Chayim is chavosh, imprisoned, yisurim, yam, and midbar. Chavosh, yisurim, yad, midbar, v'chol ha'chayim yodu chasela. So there's an acronym that reminds us of who these four categories are. The Vilna Gon says, and here's a vort for your Seder table. And with this, we will conclude. The Vilna Gon says, Pesach is essentially actually a korban toda. And so many of the laws of the korban Pesach imitate and are modeled after the Korban Toda. Why? Because all of us who went through Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, those of us who were miraculously saved from Egypt, we meet all four of these definitions. We were imprisoned, we made it through the desert, we crossed the sea, and we were sick and we were healed. And therefore, when we come to the Pesach Seder, when we sit around that table, when we reflect on our lives and our well-being, when we think about that deep sense of gratitude that we have to have, we realize, we realize that all of us, at every moment, the word Chaim is an acronym for all four of those categories. We have so much to be grateful for. With all the challenges, with all that's going around, we offer that Korban Toda. We experience that collective Pesach, says the Gra. The Pesach is a Korban Toda. And therefore he says, Why is it Zos Torah Zevach HaShlamim? Imal Toda Yakrivenu? Because... Because the whole reason that we're going through this is to be grateful to Hashem, to feel a sense of appreciation for the miracles, for the gifts that are here together with us each and every day. We should all be incredibly grateful and deeply, deeply appreciative. I wanted to share with you at the end of the parsha that Moshe, they took the blood and they put it on the corners of the Mizbeach. The blood of the sacrifices, the blood of Mila, the blood of the Pesach, all are interconnected. The notion of our partnering with God, of our taking initiative to be part of our own salvation, of not waiting passively and being spectators to our own salvation, but stepping up and uh, bringing our own salvation. Many much more to talk about, but for today, thank you for joining me. Don't forget Haggadah night tonight, Tuesday night. Tomorrow morning we have Living with Amuna and 10 Minutes of Meaning. Tomorrow night we have Coffee Talk. And Motzei Shabbos, the big Shabbos to go to Drasha, all of this is available on Zoom. You can follow uh, and find it by subscribing to our e- emails. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay holy.